Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Bacon Warrior Podcast. Today we had Mitch on to discuss Cam Newton signing with the New England Patriots. We talked a little bit more in depth about the Imani Bates commitment. And then we discussed the Force Awakens. And then we had Carter on and we ranked our top 10 favorite albums. Stay tuned. Here's Spartan Dog 97. Thanks, Spartan Dog 97. When I'm not scarfing down member berries, I'm Spartan Dog 97. Uh, we're going to run things a little different today. The boys are here, Lucas, Brett, and we got Mitch here. Mitch is going to join us for news. We're going to do a, I'm assuming what's going to be a quick discussion about The Force Awakens, and then we're going to have our boy Carter on, and we're going to discuss our top 10 favorite albums. So, uh, guys, what's going on? We watching anything, reading anything? Doing anything cool? I'm um, just kind of. Maybe I mean, I mean I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mitch. Mission City yesterday, so I'm just assuming as much of that content as humanly possible. Yeah, there was some big news. Um, we're recording on Tuesday. Big news yesterday. Um, we dropped an emergency pod. Um, you know, I think all the statements that the Bates we talked about some of them, but everything that the Bates family has put out since leads me to believe that they're playing chess, not checkers here. And that they realize that Amani is a generational talent, a LeBron, Kevin Durant level talent. And he's probably better served in college versus getting stashed away in a gym for a year in the G League prep program or going overseas. So, you know, they're kind of, they're playing the long game here. They're not, they're not looking for the, I don't think they're going to look for the, for the quick bag. Otherwise, he wouldn't went to Duke. Ayo! <laughs> yep, they wanted a free right. mansion, Mercedes. Yeah. Seems like they can afford for him to go to college for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, they're starting that prep academy, which is, which is kind of an interesting concept. I, I'd like to see what the NCAA is going to do about that. Or uh, not the NCAA, the MHSAA. Oh, God. Because um, they're – they fucking suck. As someone who played in the MHSAA, coaches in the MHSAA, it's a fucking nightmare. It's like it's like the NCAA on steroids with, like, one one-thousandth of the revenue. <laughs> it's like if uh, the NCAA was a lemonade stand. That would just, like – Yeah, if the NCAA – if the NCAA operated as is, but had the operating income of a child's lemonade stand, that would be the MHSAA. That's a great analogy, Brett. So we have a few other things to touch on. Um, first, uh, big news in the NFL, Cam Newton signed a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. Um, you know, it's, it's a light deal. It's, you know, I may have signed a light contract. It's just with, the, with the New England Patriots. Um, it's very incentive-laden. Yeah. So, you know, I, as someone who has no rooting, who actively roots against the New England Patriots, I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see what Belichick and McDaniels do with Cam and how they adapt the system. I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be pretty fun to watch him, to watch him work. Yeah. And, I, can't, uh, I can't wait to watch him. Yeah, you know, he's finally got a legitimate offensive line for the first time, I think, since the Super Bowl year. So, 
kind of hope they win a Super Bowl just to spite Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for the Patriots a little bit here this year for the yeah. first time. Just a little bit. Just yeah, a little yeah, bit. Like, like I wouldn't hate to, I wouldn't hate to see him win. We're talking right. Star Wars, but I'm watching Cam's career with great interest. <laughs> um, the other thing that happened since we last recorded was uh, the NHL draft happened. Oh, God um, damn it. I'm not a big um, hockey guy. I'm not a big hockey guy. But I do know that the Wings got absolutely fucked. That's now, putting it mildly. Someone who follows hockey more closely, Mitch, I think you do, right? So, yeah. So the Wings – um. Record in the NHL, they were historically bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I saw a stat someone put out after in the last 13 lotteries that Detroit sports teams have participated in. That this this includes the Pistons too, right? The Pistons and the and the Wings. Sports in general, Pistons, Wings, like whatever. Yeah, whoever okay. has participated in some kind of lottery. Yeah, um, the last 13 of them. Uh, in seven of 13 years, they fell past where they should have been slotted based on record. Um, and they've never moved up. So, and then someone also broke it down for just the NHL. Um, and it was like team, like every team that it was, it was every team and how many spots they've lost based on the lottery system. Um, and it was like the wings have lost the most spots based upon where they finish record wise and where they got slotted thanks to the ping pong balls, um, than any other franchise in the NHL and, um, the to be determined team that got the number one overall pick has gained the most spots ever of any, of any team. Because they're in playoff contention. That's why the team is TBD. If, if I'm understanding correctly, when the NHL restarts, there's a pool of teams, eight teams, right, who, when the season was over, were still realistically in playoff contention. So those eight teams are going to compete for how many playoff spots, two or one? There's some kind of plan where they were playing. Because isn't it, it's 20. There's 24 teams in the playoff playoff tournament. 16 are playing in a play-in round to figure out the top. They're the bottom eight of the playoffs. Yeah. So, so whoever. Yeah, so like it's like whoever, whatever eight teams loses that will go into – another lottery to figure out who gets the number one overall pick. And then the other teams will just pick wherever. Yeah. Based on the, the record and how they it's normally, how they exit the playoffs. That's so fucked up. What the fuck? Yeah, is no, this, it, no. Is this a punishment for tanking? Cause that's no, the way I took it. I took it as the NHL fucked the wings over because they knew they were tanking and wanted to punish them for tanking. That's the only well, way I can take this. Well, the, the crazy thing they, is, is the Red Wings weren't even tanking. They, their team was that bad. Like, yeah, they're if you look at the roster, they, they, I mean, they had their uh, – Philip Zidane up, who's their superstar prospect. He was playing phenomenal. He got hurt. Anthony Mantha got hurt. Like, 
they they're just so bad. That's this is how bad they were in the NHL. It's ridiculous the system that they currently have and what they did, what they planned to do originally with the lottery, with the uh, COVID situation, which is have the Red Wings fall down one spot at worst. So they would either be picking a one or two, then a bunch of GMs cried, and then they came up with this ridiculous Willy Wonka formula that basically guaranteed the the play the eight placeholder teams that one of them would get the first pick because all of their odds added up to something ridiculous that one of them was actually going to get the first pick. Something like that. It doesn't make any sense. Even Ottawa, who first three picks, like based on um, trades slash where they, those picks fell without a lottery system, they, um, they were, they got three and five. I think now, like, granted, the tweet got deleted, so it may not have been 100% correct. But I saw a tweet that said the New York Rangers could win the Stanley Cup and also pick number one overall because they hold Carolina's pick. And if they beat Carolina in the play-in round, um, that that could be number one. That's accurate. It doesn't make any sense. It was not like it was the disaster. Don't get me wrong; the Rangers aren't winning the cup this year, but like still, it's but just... the fact that that's a possibility is ridiculous. Yeah, that's insane. They need to fix the lottery. This was the NHL's prime moment to <laughs> give the best American franchise, bar none, in hot in the sport. You know, the number one pick, and build the hype for the draft, and build the hype for the rebuild. And you have a premier GM. I think you can. I think it's safe to say Steve's a good, Steve Stevie Wise a good GM, based on what happened in Tampa. May, probably a great GM because he was really good at developing the talent and finding talent. I, I just can't believe the NHL fucked this up that badly. You know, I'm with Tony Dombrowski on his on his emotion. <laughs> I'm not a. I'm not, I may look 12 years old. But I'm drinking an alcohol. I'm drinking a beer tonight. I may look, four, the class, I may look like I'm 14 years old, but I'm drinking an alcoholic beverage tonight, folks. <laughs> he dropped the classic. I got to give Tony props. He, yeah, he dropped good. two. Then he went to his car. <laughs> so shout out Tony, friend of the pod. You're not gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. Back to um. We were talking. You were talking about what MHSA, maybe like what the NCA were going to do about um, the Charter Academy or whatever. Yeah. So, but so they're going to be affiliated with an established academy already. Mm-hmm. It's okay. called um. It's called like Aim High, and all of the classes have already been approved by the NCA. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Um, There's legit as you're going to get out of a first year, you know, prep school. Yeah. I don't want to do a, uh, I don't want to do a plane watch thing, but uh, Pierre Brooks um, liked a photo on Instagram who said, who's ready for next year EL. It was a picture of him and Amani playing in AAU and Amani liked it. Um, So it's fucking happening. So did Max Christie. Yeah, Max Christie liked it too. So he's coming here. Like, I was gonna say, do we want to get into the other like recruiting tidbits that we've heard today? Yeah, we can. Um, you know, some people are like, some boomers are like, you just liked a photo. It's not a big deal. No, that means a lot. These kids, these kids know that 
everything they do on social media is being watched. So when Imani Bates likes a photo from a 2021 recruit with them together saying who's ready for next year, that's an indicator. Like these kids were, you know, you were merely, you were merely, you merely adapted the internet. These kids were born by it, molded into it. <laughs> that's a very yeah, good yeah. point. Yeah. Like, um, like we have rumors that Max Christie could be committing. I'm just supposedly. Damn it. There's also. uh, He's going to have to actually edit. I know, (laughs) you motherfucker. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Now I got to look up the technical difficulty sound on YouTube. I got to (laughs) go back and insert it to where you speak. I got to pinch the thing on Audacity (laughs) to lower the volume to mute and open it up and then open it back up and lower the. Lower the value. You, God damn it, just, Lucas. Just why are you making me work? This is supposed to be what fun. I said and hit the scissor button and move on. <laughs> just say there was a glitch with the sound. It's too late. I'm not editing anything else. We're already recording. So now I have to do the technical difficulties music. I thoughts and prayers are coming your way. For my Thank opinion. you. Uh, what else? Um, we have Free money. Used- yeah, we had a future cast by uh, yeah by a what rivals mod right MSU rivals mod he's one of the insiders yeah Mane to MSU yep and then um, hmm. another rivals writer said Jaden Aikens is basically a lock to MSU wow yeah and he's on the Monty Bates uh, Ypsilanti prep prep team now so and then the Monty Ypsilanti prep. Yeah, then Pierre Brooks said on uh, Spencer's podcast that uh, – I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, Pierre Brooks said on uh, Spencer's podcast that he's looking forward to watching um, Jade Nakins and Amani Bates play together. So, you can take that for what it's worth. Did he Did he find that out by giving by selling him some shoes? No? Okay. <laughs> sorry. <All right. laughs> Let's let's talk Force Awakens. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that movie could have used a lot of cutting, by the way. Yeah. Speaking of editing Ooh. and putting in um So my boy <laughs> my boy Tyler, he he's like one of the only people who knows who I am in my fraternity. Like he knows like my alter ego or whatever. He <laughs> sent me a link to a story that I think is both one pretty interesting if it's true. I doubt it is, but I just want to talk about it to start off this force awakens conversation. And two is pretty fucking is pretty fucking wild. So this comes from a YouTuber by the name of Dr. Doomcock. <laughs> um, the name's ridiculous, but hear me out. He had, he had spoilers for the rise of Skywalker like four months in advance. He Those nailed were the ones, weren't they? Yeah. He's yep, I read them. He nailed spoilers for captain Marvel and Endgame and far from home. 
And I believe he was the one who had Rosario Darson, Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka. Hmm. Um, so the, he, he said he posted a video over the weekend that there is a, where he stated there is a civil war going on within Lucasfilm between Kathleen Kennedy and John Favreau. And essentially what Favreau wants to do is decanonize the sequel trilogy. Oh, and they have the canon. Supposedly, they have the they have canon to back up the fact that they that they'll be able to do it pretty easily. Mitch, you might know you've seen Rebels, right? Let me pull up the article. He it has something to do. It has something to do with Rebels, and let me see. Great radio we're going on right now. Um, okay, it's from an ep- season four, episode thirteen, uh, episode of Rebels. Um, this is how Disney, if Disney were to go forward, this is how they'd do it. Emperor Palpatine had a room on the second Death Star called the Room of Mirrors. The mirrors were created by the Emperor prior to the prior to the Death Star using the darks through the dark side using ancient Sith r- rituals. These mirrors linked to the veil of the Force. These mirrors linked to the veil of the Force served many purposes. Using them, Palpatine could manipulate the Force in many ways to further his aims. For example, the use of the mirrors allowed Palpatine to cloud the Jedi Council to conceal himself and his dark apprentices from the Jedi and from Force sensitives that followed their fall. Using the mirrors allowed Palpatine to access the awesome powers of the Veil of the Force. They were indispensable tools that allowed him to rise to the pinnacle of ultimate power. It is this conceit that explains how Palpatine survived Darth Vader throwing him down the shaft in the throne room of the Death Star. In desperation as he fell, Palpatine opened a portal to the Veil of the Force and entered it. This explains why Palpatine is, such in, in, is in such a damaged state in the rise of Skywalker. As transporting himself into the veil without the aid of mirrors drained him and damaged him severely. Like, that was either the last episode. That was one of the last episodes of Rebels. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean... hard time remembering the name of the main character even though I only watched it like a month ago but he went, he went into like the, this area that you're talking about and he pulled I believe to pull out his master who had died recently but chose not to because it would like they were they told him not to because it was going to alter like too much stuff or whatever um remembering remembering it correctly but um yeah so i mean have gone into any part of the timeline that he wanted to and changed whatever he wanted and saved whoever he wanted so i mean it's 
have it in canon, uh, would want to undo the whole thing, but they, they could. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's very likely that they that they'd undo this. I mean, that would be an incredibly massive undertaking. Not to mention, it would only please like fifteen percent of the fan base. And only five percent of the people who were who'd be pleased by that would even understand what the fuck they were talking about. And the other thing too is, like, like we're gonna talk about in the Force Awakens, like, how the fuck are you gonna do? How are you the fuck are you gonna do that without Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill? Right. You know well, what I mean? I mean, you can CGI like, it. You could like Harrison Ford's still around. Right, the whole thing. Like they're just changing a timeline of history. They can CGI Carrie Fisher. I don't know if they want to do that for three films, but they, they huh. could. I if this is true and John Favreau's locked in some kind of ideological civil war about the future of Lucasfilm with Kathleen Kennedy, I feel like more would have gotten out. Yeah. I don't see that. I don't see them doing that. I don't think that's a, a thing that would happen. No, so but it's, a, it's an interesting concept. But again, it's 20 fucking 20. Who the fuck knows? Um, <laughs> you know? Clone Wars. Yeah, exactly. I've, uh, I've got notes again. I don't. I don't really want to do it. Yeah, but. let's just run through. Let's just keep running through your notes. Um, okay. I, d- I don't have a lot to say about this movie. It's it just kind of eds what eds. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, I want to start like. <clears throat> I remember how excited I was for a new Star Wars trilogy. Like I think Star Wars fans, we were. You know, when 2012, when Lucasfilm got bought by Disney, I was pretty optimistic. I was pretty happy because I was ready for a new movie and. This movie has its problems, and it's basically a light carbon copy of A New Hope, but it kind of had to be because of what happened with the prequel trilogies. If prequel trilogy, if the if the prequels were all really good movies, this movie would be would be would have taken more risks than it did. So I just want to. That's my opening statement. I'll, I'll open the floor to what other people think about it, kind of overall. Yeah, I mean, I like it. You know, it's fine. Like, it's not it's not the worst Star Wars thing I've ever seen. You know, it's just, it's just safe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not to keep bringing up South Park and Member Berries, but I think they <laughs> lampooned that pretty well when, uh, with the Member Berries and, like, when they have J.J. Abrams redo the national anthem and it's the same. <laughs> Oh my god, that was so good. So that you was know, the Jurassic World came out too, and they kind of riffed on that a little bit. Yeah, it was fine. You know, I, I enjoy you know, I enjoy this movie. You know, yeah, it's too. nice, it's it's pretty good. Fucking love Oscar Isaac. Wish we got more of them. Don't know why we didn't. Um John Boyega's pretty dope. Easily his best movie out of the three. Yeah, you know, Daisy Ridley. Um speaking of which, um I saw this article. It was from the hard times where, um, <laughs> where, you know, you guys, you guys follow Red Litter Media at all? No. Uh, they, uh, Did I? 
nah, they're, you know, they're fine. They're review guys. Um, they're all dudes and they have a very um, male, let's call it perspective on film. Mm-hmm. And the hard times wrote this article about how the their review for Black Widow leaked six months early. And it's like, they didn't even see the movie. They just posted the review as like, Black Widow's a Mary Sue. And, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the discourse around this trilogy is like, raise a Mary Sue. And, and then they try to explain it in the most harebrained way possible. But that just, you, this conversation always reminds me of that Hard Times article. Mm-hmm. I just... I I remember the uproar, not just over Ray because she was female, but you could you could play spot the racist with people who didn't like uh, John Boyega being cast. That was yeah. that was pretty rough, pretty rough. Um, one of my first observations is, and um, Cassie brought this up. You know, I was watching this with my brother-in-law, Cassie's brother, and. Um, he's like Mitch and Trevor. He's way into the Star Wars lineage, way into the knowledge, way more than we are. And, you know, he said, uh, this is, doesn't really hit on it, but he's like, you know, BB-8's pretty cool, but he doesn't have as much charisma as R2 and 3PO. And, I mean, I kind of agree with that. I thought, I thought BB-8 was a good droid. I mean, he was different from R2 and 3PO. At least they didn't, like, make a different R2 and 3PO for this, you know? The toy's fucking cool. I will say this. The toy, the $150 RC toy where you can watch the movie and it'll react with the movie. That's pretty fucking cool. Like, BB-8's cooler because, like, not cool. I'm not going to say it's cooler than R2-D or anything, but BB-8's cool because of, like, what he can do. Like, he's faster, more agile. Like, he's just as technically equipped, probably more even than uh, R2. Right. So, like, just, like, what he can do, BB-8's pretty Yeah, cool. like, in the Falcon, when um, when they first get into it, you know, BB's kind of flailing around, but then all of a sudden he shoots those um, wires out, and he's not hurt anymore. Or not hurt, but, you know, he's not rattling around anymore. Like, little cool shit like that they did in this movie. I, I got to watch the other two again to see if he does any other stuff like that, but... Um, Interesting observation from the first set, you know, scene in the movie at that one planet where Poe is getting the the map to Sky, the the fragment of the map to Skywalker. Is that the stormtroopers for once actually hit people? I was pretty surprised to see that. Usually they could, usually they miss all those motherfuckers at like ten feet at a ten foot radius. Yeah, the first order much more much more adept at target practice than than the Empire. <laughs> They invested more in target shooting. Yeah. Um, and it was cool to see the different types of stormtroopers. Like, you got the flamethrower in that scene. You got um, Captain Phasma. I mean, I know she's a captain, but it's still pretty sick to see that chrome suit. And you had, later in the movie, you had the the guys with, like, the laser, laser sword, like uh, Luke jokes in Last Jedi. Like, you know, that looks like a uh, baton, kind of. Yeah, like the taser baton thing where the guy goes, traitor! Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was weird. (laughs) The line is uttered so many times. And I thought it was kind of cool to see Finn as a rebel stormtrooper. Like, that took it, I mean, not in a completely different direction, but it was was a neat 
little pivot to see someone from that side who's realizing, you know, he came from a family. He, he doesn't have anything to fight for in this. Why should I fight with these people? You know, they're just basically mass murderers. Um, and when Kylo Ren comes on the scene, you know, I, I'm glued, I'm glued to the screen and he's better when he has a man, has his mask on. I mean, Adam driver is great in this trilogy. He's the best part of this trilogy bar none, but I, I think he's way more intimidating, you know, with, I'll show you the dark side. And then he takes his mask off and it's like, Oh, this guy from girls. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you have any previous relationship with Adam Driver, you can't take him <laughs> seriously with the mask off. Yeah, you've I seen Kyle Ren jack off on screen. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think he wants to be Vader. Yeah, I thought that was um, I thought that was a nice, that was a nice, you know, yeah. Um. It was pretty cool when because he was ashamed. Sorry, Mitch. They they did a little bit more stuff with the force in this trilogy. I thought it was pretty cool when Poe shoots at the blaster at Kylo Ren and he just stops it midair and it just sits there, you know, like a like just waiting to to finish its course trajectory until until they're all out of the uh, vicinity. And when before I move on from the scene. Kylo Ren, much like his grandfather, Anakin Skywalker, committed a light genocide. Just a light genocide. <laughs> well, no, I would call I would call this one a heavy genocide. Yeah. That's a heavy fucking genocide. <laughs> I just had to throw that line back in because there's like a, a heavy to light genocide in every one of these movies. <laughs> you know, one thing that struck me with this trilogy too is like how much more physical like they, they make the force look. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in the other movies, it's just, it's like graceful. You know what I mean? That's something that I think is like in vogue now is like showing the effort that things take, you know, like in the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, he just kind of floats. He doesn't really fly, but in, you know, that's one thing the Snarder movies I think does pretty well is like he, you can see the effort it takes to fly and you can see the effort it takes to use the force and like how the force reacts with living objects. I think that's a pretty cool, that's a pretty cool feature that they've added to this like, trilogy. It's very palpable. You can but, feel the physicality. Right. Also because of the fact that the force has shifted so far to the dark side at this point that the Sith are more emotional. They show more, they show more emotion than the Jedi. So like, it shifted so far that like they have to put more effort in because they're fighting on emotion as opposed to an actual like the living force kind of thing. Um, and then we you know we meet Ray the next scene on Jakku, and it's uh, you know she's just basically there scrounging around finding shit to pawn. You know she's in a um, old Star Destroyer. And I totally forgot that the uh, pawn shop guy, the pawn star, and and Jakku was uh, Simon Pegg. Like I, I don't, I think they put him. I don't know if they put him in a suit, but it's definitely his voice. No, he's in a suit. He's in a suit. Yeah, he's in it. a suit. Um, 
and the biscuit that she gets and she dissolves in the water, that the water dissolves it and it just pops up. That looked fucking gross as hell. Looked like That's it was a, like, that was a real effect too. Yeah. It like It's like probably one of those camping meals that you can buy, I'm guessing. Yeah, they were talking about like how they had to suck air from the bottom of the table hmm. to like get it to inflate and like how like much of a pain in the ass it was. <laughs> I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of cool. The most expensive shot of the movie. <laughs> it was just biscuit rising. <laughs> um and I, I kind of noticed this this time that when she's sitting outside of the little of the AT AT and she's eating. Uh, she puts that helmet on and just kind of looks around. I instantly thought of Anakin in episode one when he's piloting that that ship and he's like, "Whoa, I'm a pilot! Oh, look at me! I'm cool." It's it's um, it's poetry. It, it rhymes. <laughs> it's another member bears. I don't remember that part. And I just have to say, you know, we talked about you know Simon Pegg being a suit and all that shit. It was really cool, like, when you could see the videos from the set, like, when J.J. did that whole um, Omaze thing where you could donate to charity and get on the movie. Like, he showed off the practical effects and creatures. That was really cool to see again. I I give the, this trilogy shit in a lot of parts, but that was one thing I really liked, is that they went back to the more practicality of it as opposed to just having one of these green screens and George Lucas saying action. Yeah, I think I think it does. I think practical sets do a couple things. I think one, it helps ground the film in this kind of in this kind of space. You know, that's one thing I noticed when I when we were watching episode one was like how a lot of the backgrounds just kind of look painted, like they didn't look like they were there. Like it it looked like. It looked like one of those mall music video places <laughs> where you could go and sing like Kiss from a Rose and like have a dove shoot off in the background. And then it, the CD like kind of It kind of looks like what you have going on right now, honestly, in some parts. It's not as grainy. Right. But like if you had better lighting, like it would kind of look like what you're what you're set up right now. Yeah, I gotta get Cassie down here to fix the lighting because she'd see the she'd see the graininess and just cringe. Yeah, I just, but no, you know, I think the practical sets and it also kind of, it helps the actors' performances, I think. I think, you know, that's one of the problems with the prequel trilogy is that you have these great actors and they're just kind of hamstrung by the fact that they have nothing to like, they have no point of reference. They don't know where they're at. Mm -hmm. Kind of, they're standing on a, they're standing on a green felt box and they're supposed to like walk around and talk <laughs> or like look at a tennis ball and talk to it. A right. Ball exactly. Um, and I just love like, you know, this is the first time I watched this since I read those spoilers and watched episode nine. And, you know, obviously the big shit that happens in that it's, you know, when she's talking to Finn about her family coming back or when she's talking about BB eight, sorry about her family coming back. And I'm just like, now, nah, not happening the the they're they're dead pal think not pal um and i don't know how much portions would be in an american currency in u.s currency but i felt like bb-8 was worth more than 60 portions if you ask me i'm sure some 
some guy somewhere has made a portions to U.S. dollars equivalency. <laughs> but based on the reaction, 60 portions was a lot of food, was a lot. Yeah, that could last her a couple weeks. I mean, she could she could probably make it like a month. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I was just saying, honestly, it seems like it was more than that. Just, just three-ish. Yeah. At, at minimum. And um, speaking of Poe, you know, earlier how we I loved Oscar Isaac in this. You did too, Spartan Dog. It would be cool to see, like, probably won't be a live action, but it would be cool to see a Poe and Finn buddy comedy Disney Disney Plus series. Like maybe maybe an animated one where John and, and Oscar voice them. Yeah, like between eight and nine where they're just fucking around, you know, being being dudes. Guys being dudes. Just being pals. Kissing each other goodnight, kissing the homies goodnight. Yeah, that's what that's what the Clone Wars does so well is that, you know, episodes two and three, all we hear about are these or is is this shit that Anakin and Obi Wan get into, but we don't actually see it. And the Clone Wars actually shows us. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it adds a lot of context to their relationship, you know, versus mm-hmm. like them telling us that like, oh, you know, they're really close. Like it shows us that they've been through a lot. So, yeah, that'd be cool to see. I'm sure it's maybe, I'm sure someone pitched it. But uh, maybe, yeah. Disney, maybe Disney listens to this and goes, hey, you know, there's two or three people on, four, or there's four people who were watching on that podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and I've, you know, with all these, I throw in random Star Wars observations. So this one is, I just, every time I hear the TIE fighters take off, the love it. It is so fucking cool. Just one of the best movie sounds. It's, I love it. Just had to, just had to throw that out there, fellas. Um. I also I also love like the design of like the first order of like the first order fleet, you know, how everything I imagine that if it would kind of look everything looks modern. You know what I mean? Like everything kind of looks like everything you know how everyone every company is doing like that basic box logo thing. Yeah, that's what it kind of reminds me of is like just like this redesign of of imperial of like imperial stuff. You know, it's you know the stormtrooper helmets are sleeker. The tie fighters, you know, they got they have pointed edges. You know, they're they had a brand refresh. Yeah, exactly. They had some brand guys come in. They had the Mad Men come in. Don, Don Draper. Draper. <laughs> Talked about how he was raised in a horror house, and then he got, then he got to work on on refreshing the brain of the empire into the first order. So, that was definitely a Pete Campbell. That was a Pete Campbell classic. What if he called it the First Order? And I'm gonna go cheat on my wife. I've never seen Mad Men. Oh, so all these jokes are falling flat. Is it good? Is it worth watching? Yeah, it gets a little. You know, it's like every other network. Uh cable cable drama it goes on like maybe a season two seasons too long yeah. but when it hits it fucking hits okay i'll have to try i'll have to try it sometime this year um and this is one of the cliche or cringy lines you knew the second that ray and finn are running from the first order when she says no that ship over there is garbage 
you knew what it was, right? You knew. It's the king. It's the Millennium Falcon. And it's like, man, they, they, they called that ship a piece of shit a couple times. But that motherfucker's like, I'm going to do a sponsor here. Like the Ford F-150. Reliable, consistent. It's been around for a long time. Still does great shit. Like that, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, this. 12 parsecs. <laughs> yeah, and she said 14. He goes, it's 12, damn it. Um, and another great moment was when the door opens, when they've been boarded, or when they get pulled in, and Han and Chewie walk in and say we're home. Total member berries, but a fucking great moment, seeing those two together again. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was great. That was one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, the whole thing clapped. Oh. Like just a slow golf clap. Like it was it was fantastic. And like <laughs> I I I guess this was part of the script, but you know, he says who they are, you know, I'm Han Solo, this is Chewbacca, and then Ray just goes, You're Han Solo, you're Chewbacca. You did the uh, Kessel run in fourteen parsecs, and I just want him to look at her and go no shit, I just said who we are. Are you fucking deaf? Like, what the hell? The whole point, she was just, like, so Star-struck. awestruck. Yeah. Like, seeing an actual legend in front of her. It had to be, like, take 18. Because, like, the first 17 takes, Harrison Ford probably really did react like that. <laughs> <laughs> See a blooper reel from this movie? Yeah, what the fuck? Harrison, you can't, say, <laughs> you can't say fuck on a Star Wars set. You know this. I wonder have you guys ever seen um, from uh, the Conan O'Brien show? They have a producer named Jordan Schlansky. Have you guys ever like heard of this guy or seen his videos? No, no. Yeah, so he's like a big movie nerd. So they took him to like uh, get his Star Wars stuff like appraised and like viewed. And he had like Harrison Ford come on the set and just like smash his like Millennium Falcon like <laughs> Lego set. <laughs> so if you guys ever had a chance, like, check that out. That dude's just, like, naturally funny. But that was, like, classic. Harrison Ford just was not rocking with him. Every first take, every first take of Han's dialogue was, when do I die? Yeah. <laughs> like, my brother-in-law forgot. He didn't know, you know, didn't Han, didn't Harrison want to die in Empire? No, he he was going to, the first pass was he was going to die in Return of the Jedi. That's right. And he wanted to. He wanted to, and yeah. George was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be able to sell toys. <laughs> of course. That's a good excuse. Um, but I wonder how much extra Disney paid him to, to take off the earring that he wears out in public all the time. He was paid twenty. He was paid $20 million for this role. No shit? Yeah. None 20, of it was for the earring. $20 million. Sure, sure probably <laughs> an extra five. It was probably five. It was probably 15 and five for the earring. Or 15 for the earring. <laughs> He's like, I love this. You can't take it off me, damn it. <laughs> if I'm not going to be able to fly over commercial plates within six feet, I don't – you're going to have to pay. <laughs> His earring is like the orb that Kevin Garnett has in Uncut Gems. Just give me <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Like, and didn't he break his leg on the set of this movie? I believe he did. The door, the, the, the door of the Falcon, uh, I think, fell on his leg. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sure he's like, oh, maybe I'll finally just die. <laughs> like Chadwick Bosman when he keeps having to do the Wakanda forever, and his face <laughs> just, like, 
drastically droops more. That's like Harrison Ford in these movies. Just <laughs> not, you just can't do it. Like he's still good in it. Harrison Ford is yeah. still great in this movie. Oh yeah, he still shows out, but it's oh, just God. it's so funny how much contempt he contempt he has for this movie. You could tell, you could see a little bit of the content the, the more the movie goes on. But in okay, Star Killer Base, great name. I love the name Star Killer. But can't you come up with a better name, or can't or can't you come up with a different name from Death Star, like? pretty much a different version of Death Star, Star Killer. And it's it's cool that it was on a planet, but that's the part where I'm like, man, it's another Death Star and and that just kind but of This one me. was a it wasn't on a planet. It 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 was the planet. It was the size of a planet, wasn't it? Like it it was it was it was like integrated into the planet's core. Like they were using, weren't they using? They're using energy from the sun, but like, wasn't it like connected? It was like built like deep, deep into this planet. I'm pretty sure the original Death Star. Yeah, I can't remember, but I don't know. It that's when it was like it really is a member Barry's moment. Twenty times the size or something of yeah. the OG. And I did like um, Han's speech about, you know, when when the map gets projected by BB-8, and he's like, "Holy shit!" That you know, there's where Luke is, and and he said, "You know, what's going on?" Yeah, right. <laughs> I follow this account. It's at Insane Letterbox on Twitter, where they just collect they just collect crazy Letterboxd reviews, and. Someone submitted one for Godzilla King of the Monsters. It starts, I have a question about Godzilla's balls. Remember in Transformers Revenge of the Fallen when that one Decepticon had wrecking balls for testicles? Has there been any confirmation on something like that for this property? Has anyone died by being crushed by this giant lizard's nuts? I'm not up to date on Godzilla lore, but consider this my first inquiry into the franchise. Oh my god, that fucking movie! What a uh, shitty, what a shitty way to die! Just getting crushed by Godzilla's <laughs> balls. A dead die, uh, boating accident. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> that fucking movie. Anyway, um, but it was cool. You know, Han's speech. You know, he's like, I used to think it was a joke. The Force, you know, lightsabers, all that dumb shit. It's fucking real. Like it, it's real. All of it. It's true. All the stories you heard, all of it. Like that that was a cool part because you know, he was just a total douchebag non believer in it in the beginning of his saga with this series. And, you know, when he starts to meet Luke and Leia, he's by Return of the Jedi, he's a total believer in it. Or pretty close to a total believer. And I'm sure between these two movies, you know, with having a son who is pretty damn powerful himself, you know, he definitely is like, okay. I'm done being I'm done being an asshole about this stuff. Uh, and at Maz Kanata's place, who totally just gets ignored in episode nine, and uh, it's basically just a cameo in, Return- in Last Jedi. You you do we do get Jizz again. There's a lighter version of Jizz played at Maz Kanata's palace, which is nice to see the the connectivity. You know, Jizz is. Jizz connects everybody. Yeah, you gotta love some light jizz. 
<laughs> little light, like Kenny G's playing jizz in the background. Um, <laughs> Kenny G's just laying down some um, hot, it, some hot sticky What's that? I couldn't hear you, Mitch. Over Zion. Uh, a different Kenny G, but the joke was there. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Okay. A friend, of the, friend of the podcast, Kenny Goins. Oh. <laughs> uh, dumb. And so the next scene is Ben talking to his grandfather's head or the spirit of Darth Vader, whatever you want to call it. You know, when he says, I feel it again, the, the call to the light, do you think that was Leia? Uh, I think it was, I think it was just Han and Ray because they're a, they're a diagram or paragon or whatever the fuck they're called. Dyad? Dyad. There Dyad. it is. Yeah, they're a dyad in the force. So I think that that's kind of what it, what it was. Okay. I was just curious, you know, see what everyone else thought, what you guys thought. Uh, and did he get Darth Vader's helmet from Luke? Did you think he stole it from Luke or did Luke maybe just give it to him? I don't know. I don't know where we got. Annoyed. Oh. Huh? About it. It got burned on Endor. Where did it come from? Luke burned it on Endor. He learned, he burned everything on Endor. Where did right. it come from? I want to know. One of the things they didn't answer that pisses me off. Right. It's just, it's there. It's like, did he find it on eBay? Someone's like authentic Darth Vader head. Maybe, uh, maybe, uh, Palpatine used the mirror dimension to go get it. It's like that, uh, it's like those guys who collect third rec memorabilia. Like, where the fuck do you get this shit? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, why the fuck do you have an SS Medal of Honor? <laughs> Kylo Ren's just scrolling. We know why. Yeah, I like history. <laughs> well, that, that, Henson's got a <laughs> giant collection. Old by G. Henson. Who's <laughs> her name? Little, little kid lover. <laughs> um. Yeah, Kylo Ren just scrolling through his phone on eBay and just like, oh shit. And like emails the bot the seller. Is this an authentic Darth Vader head? Been looking for it. And it's like S N Zero K E is a seller. <laughs> yeah, this is real. Uh and a pretty cool moment was when she gets Anakin's lightsaber and you know, she has that kind of trippy moment where she's in the um in Cloud City, and then she's on uh, the that the Star Killer, all this other, and a couple other plays, like Jakku, and I forgot about Alec Guinness and Ewan McGregor combining as Obi Wan, telling her that these are her first steps. Like that was a cool little moment. I like that. Remember berries, but I like it. Uh, <laughs> Although I had my gripes with Star Killer, it was pretty sick that like one shot took out four planets like right next to each other yeah that was, that was dope. pretty fucking cool like the the music that was great and like seeing kylo ren just like watch it and you know it's definitely wasn't a light genocide for sure on this part it was very, very extra large extra extra large genocide to kill out four planets at once 
Um, and I, I got to say again, Kylo Ren's lightsaber is fucking badass. I, I like the lightsabers in these movies. Like they feel a little more real. Like his, he's got that coarse and rough. It's it's coarse and rough, and it gets, it gets everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I started saying coarse and rough on my phone when I was watching the movie. I'm like, okay, comma gets everywhere. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I wanted to build one of those, but you can only build like a basic lightsaber. So I was a little bummed out, but anyway, and boy, Finn is totally 100% a simp in a galaxy far, far away for Ray, like just head over heels simp for her. And she just goes, Hey buddy. Hey pal, how you doing? <laughs> Ray just or Ray just just friend zones the fuck out of him in these movies. I just love Darth Vader. <laughs> I mean, Kylo Ren. And going back to something Ray doesn't like, you know, with 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 friend zoning um, Finn, she doesn't like PDA because she keeps going, "Don't touch my hand, don't hold my hand." When they're running away from the first order, <laughs> she just man, heart ugh. and. When Kylo Ren takes off his mask and, and he's interrogating Ray, puts it in that container, or not that container, but, you know, that little triangle. Didn't J.J. Abrams say that, that that's the ashes of some of his victims for Kylo Ren? Um, I don't remember. I swear he said that. If he did, that's pretty twisted. That's like hot topic shit right there. Hot topic shit. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get the Kylo Ren mask ashes container, please? Uh, oh man, I'm fucked that one up. But um, she just and you know you can like like you said at the beginning, Spartan, with the force being very palpable and physical, and you can actually see and kind of feel it when you're watching it. She just fucking wrecked Kylo Ren. He wasn't Kylo Ren. He was fucking Ben at the end of that interrogation because he's just, like, starting to kind of pee his pants a little bit, and she's just like, you're scared. You're never going to beat Darth Vader. And he just goes, oh, oh my. And Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! I'm telling! <laughs> he goes and runs to tell Snoke. <laughs> I'm telling my dad. Um, and... You guys know who the who the stormtrooper was that let her go, right? Daniel Craig, baby. Yep, yep. Daniel fucking Craig, king shit. Um, and I, I thought it was <laughs> okay. This joke might might not land, but Finn, you know, on on Star Killer when they're when they're arguing on the surface when they're about to go under, when he's arguing with Han, uh, Finn was apparently a janitor, so. The resistance was counting on a scoundrel in Han Solo and a janitor. That's like Michigan Twitter relying on Scott Bell and Greg Henson. Oh. Yo. What about Sleeping Beauty? Well, he's asleep. They can't count oh, on yeah, him. That's right. Shit. I'm he only half. goes to a 9 a.m. showing. He's, he's carbonized. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, just like, what's, what's being frozen in carbonate? Like, well, you're basically asleep for a long time. Sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah, uh, sounds good. I want to fucking yeah, do that, it. That's pun. Yeah. <laughs> become, yeah, no, I'm just, <laughs> He loves punishment. 
decarbonize me, please. Speak. No carbonize me. Uh, Oppress uh, me, Jabba. Speaking <laughs> of uh, car- being put in carbonite, <laughs> a Han Solo in carbonite. Whoa. Oh, that's dope. That's fucking yeah. twisted. It's freaking awesome. It's only 12 bucks. Really? That's a pretty good deal. Pull the trigger. Yeah. All right. And Okay, do I have anything else real quick? Uh, I did think the scene between Ben and Han was really well shot. Like, you know, that moment where you think Kyle's going to turn to the light side, like there's light on his face. And then when he pulls out the lightsaber and it's starting to be like a struggle, the light just turns into dark and it's red again really like that moment like that's the best that's one of the best parts of the movie might be the best scene in the movie and last thing i felt really fucking bad for chewy like when he screams oh god damn you like you want to scream too because like his best friend has got fucking murdered right in front of him by his own marks yep good it's it's a good movie it's better than i thought it it's better than i remembered I enjoyed it. It's a very comfortable. It's like a nice blanket on a fall afternoon. Just sit there and relax, and you watch it, and it's a good movie. That she didn't get any formal training. Yeah. It always bothered me that, like, when she decided to figure out how to use the force in this movie, that she just like did like some deep yoga breathing, and was, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> Okay. For like four seconds, and then all of a sudden, she's convincing stormtroopers to, to to let her out, and she's you know able to lightsaber fight with Kylo Ren. <laughs> I'm surprised that she was able to do any of that stuff near the end because Kylo Ren fucking yeeted her into that tree and like clocked her, knocked the wind out of her, and just concussed light concussion probably. Like just nope, you're gone. You're you don't I don't like your product. I'm out. I don't like your product. <laughs> don't don't like it. I give it an 80. I give it an 80. But higher than I thought I would give it, but it's still an enjoyable movie. And I'm not going to hold the sins of episode 9 against this movie. Finish. Fin. Finito. For yeah, me. I'd probably give it a 70, 75. You know, it's, it's fine. Well, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, well, it's something that you can watch. It's not like, I mean, you could revisit it. Like, I'm sure you guys have seen it. I mean, obviously more than once. So it's not to the point where it's like unwatchable again. No. And I, I mean, it's okay. entertaining. It's not anything groundbreaking. I mean, it was cool to see them obviously revive like a new trilogy right. and just bring it into the modern century. So. Yeah. Can't okay. dump on it too better. hard. It's better than the prequels. Easily. Oh, for sure. Easily. All right. Um, Mitch, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you coming on every week. We'll be back next week for what I'm sure will be a lively discussion on The Last Jedi. Are we going to talk the spinoffs at all? Uh, maybe we can do a combined one for Rogue yeah. One and Solo. Let's yeah. do that. I bet, we could, I bet we could get some nice discussion about Solo. Oh Yeah, yeah we can do right. a combined Solo Rogue One episode. Yeah. So, Mitch, thank Thanks, you. Mitch. Appreciate it as always. Rock. Now let's have Carter on to discuss top 10 favorite albums. Nice. Nice. Enjoy. No lover. All right. We now welcome on our boy Carter. 
Carter Landis onto the show. Carter, what's going on? How's it going, guys? It's good to be on. So uh, we're going to discuss our top 10 favorite albums right now. Um, I don't know about you guys, but this was a hard fucking list to make. Me too. Um, I listened to a shit ton of music and, you know, having to whittle down something to 10 was was killer. Um, you know, I'm going to be interested to see the diversity of music taste between the four of us. Um, you know, Lucas might have something like Beethoven's fourth on it. And then <laughs> Carter's probably just going to have 10 Juice World albums. I've got a bunch of now. There's That's what I call music. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll start with Carter and then we'll go to Brett and then Lucas and then me. Are we doing like 10, like 10, yeah. 10, 10, 10? You want me to go uh, 10 no. to 1? Just, you're, we're going to rattle off our 10 through 6. If you have a quick thought about one of them, you okay. can say it. And then we'll go more in depth about our top five. So, okay. uh, Carter, you're uh, 10 through 6. All right. Uh, number 10. This one is, I threw this list together, you know, in the last few days, so. Uh, my number 10 was uh, Future's Purple Rain, one of my favorite mixtapes of his. Uh, it's a lot of hip-hop and things like that. Um, my number 9 is Sylvia Demo by Isaiah Rashad. Uh, 8 is uh, Thriller, Michael Jackson. I had to throw some on there. 7, this is probably unpopular, but Yay is my favorite Kanye West album, so it's at 7. Mm. Great mm. album. Interesting. And then number 6 is... Uh, it's Rubber Soul by the Beatles. Okay. All right. Interesting, interesting collection of albums you got going on there. Diverse. Um, you know, for as diverse as our music taste is, I feel like three of the four, if not all four of us, is going to share an album in the top five. So it'll be interesting to see where everyone has this album um, when we get there. Uh, Brett, you're 10 through 6. So my 10 through 6, uh, number 10, I've got Watch the Throne by Kanye West and Jay-Z. Um, number 9, I have the 2020 Experience by Justin Timberlake. Mm-hmm. Number 8, I have uh, Man on the Moon 2 by Kid Cudi. Number 7, I have Graduation by Kanye West. And then at my number 6, this is where it got really tough. Um because then all the albums start like kind of piling up on each other. But I have uh, Endless by Frank Ocean. Hmm. Okay. Interesting, interesting choice. Kanye, heavy, heavy representation early. Yep. Yeah, and, and later. <laughs> I'm assu- yeah, I'm assuming later. Lucas, you're 10 through 6. Okay, number 10, Tub Thumping, Chubbawamba. Uh, <laughs> um, number 10, Marshall Mathers LP, Eminem. Incredible album. Um, number nine, Songs for the Deaf by Queens of the Stone Age. Fucking sick drums by Dave Grohl, who is the GOAT drummer. Number eight, Kid, I, uh, Kid A by Radiohead. Fucking great album. OK Computer is pretty good, but I think Kid A is better. Number seven, My Beautiful, Dark, Twisted Fantasy. Okay. Fucking amazing album. Wow, didn't make the top five. No. It was close. Um, to num- and number six is a band that should just stay out of politics. The Battle of Los Angeles by Rage Against the <laughs> Yeah, you know, they really, they really got into politics in their later years. I don't quite understand it. 
<laughs> I had to, I mean, it's one of my favorite albums ever, but like, I love it. Should have just stayed out of politics. Who knew that killing in the name of was political? That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so um, my 10 through six, my number 10 is Funk Wave Bounces Volume 1 by Calvin Harris. <laughs> my number nine is Enema of the State by Blink-182. Okay. My number nine. My number eight is the Beatles' White Album. My number seven is Dark Sky Paradise by Big Sean. <laughs> and my number six is From Under the Cork Tree by Fall Out Boy. So, oh, this thing, Carter, you're number five. All right, I just want to say, um, my top five albums have all come out within the last like four or five years, but you know, uh, so number oh. five for me is, is Die Lit by Playboy Cardi, and I know that you know that's probably goofy, but I remember listening to that album, it was right as I was graduating high school, and uh, we're going in depth a little bit more with our top five, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I just thought like every single song as, as uniform as the album sounded, they sounded very similar. It's just kind of intoxicatingly, you know, simplistic, but every song to me was really good. So that one is my number five. Uh, my number four is control. We're just, we're going to go, we're going to go top. We're going to go one by one. Okay. Okay. Top five. Okay. Uh, Brett, you're number five. So coming at my number five is Channel Orange by Frank Ocean. Okay. That album is just absolutely like incredible. Um, I know I had Endless, which is a later project by Frank, but five, I remember that came out like the summer going into my sophomore year of college. So that's kind of like you get the first year of college out of the way, then you get a Frank Ocean album. Like that album got so much play for me just throughout the summer, then leading up into the fall. And it's just like the vibes of that album are just He's so stupid talented that, I mean, that five might be doing it a disservice, but that's where, that's where it ranks. Yeah. I had a, uh, I had a similar experience with blonde blonde came mm-hmm. out like right, right. As I was going into my sophomore year and Nike's Nike's got a lot of play. I oh, <laughs> need a ring like Carmelo. <laughs> Lucas, you're number five. <laughs> Here we go. Um, I'm just going to say firsthand my top five, the oldest album or the, the album that's the most current to our time is 2002. Okay. Uh, A lot of bangers from the nineties. So my number five is running with scissors by weird Al. Is, is that the one? The saga begins. Yeah. Pretty fly for a rabbi. It's all about the Pentiums, polka power, germs which is a riff of closer by nine inch nails that album i played the fuck out of in uh it was like 12th grade or no i was 12 i love that album and weird al is in my opinion a top five top 10 top five artist because parody is so hard to do but it's even harder to do well and he has such a career out of it it's incredible what he's done and i went I- live for this tour he was fucking hilarious, and it was so cool to see him live. Yeah, I will say um, I had a real w- Weird Al phase in middle school. We all and, did. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone had a Weird Al phase in middle school. And, you know, Pretty Fly for a Wet Rabbi is a banger. Um, my number five, you know, I didn't want to put 
I didn't want to put like too many like live albums or like compilations or greatest hits on here, but um, I had to make an exception for this one. Uh, my number five is Newfound Glory's Kill It Live. Um, Newfound Glory is a band I came to, you know, pretty recently, but I've just, I've fallen in love with them. You know, they have a lot of, um, they have a lot of great songs and this album, this album is incredible. They recorded it at a 250 person venue in Anaheim, California. And like, you can just feel, you can feel the energy, you know, some live albums, they record at like arenas or stadiums and it just feels real cavernous. Like you don't, like you don't get the, you don't get the atmosphere of being there. And it feels like you're like off to the side of the stage during this whole album. And it's got a good mix of like newer songs and older songs. And like, it's, and it's so small that like the only people who were there were like hardcore fans of the band. So there's like a ton of audience participation and like, they, they do a good mix of like letting the audience sing and, you know, cutting up their sound. And like, there's a lot, they leave in like the between song stuff. And it just, it feels like you're at a newfound glory concert, which is awesome. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, Carter, you're number four. All right. My, my number four is Control by SZA. Uh, this one was around 2017. Uh, I was in 2017, I think TDE, the record label was really big and I was just kind of indulged in, you know, all the TDE artists, you know, Kendrick Lamar, Schoolboy Q, is one of the singers on there. And that was an another one of these albums that I feel like top to bottom is just fantastic, but there's a little bit more diversity in that one than there is in the one that I previously mentioned, Die Lit, but, and SZA is so like, People, you know, kind of rep, rip on, like, the way she sings and all, but I think it's fantastic. I think that, you know, I saw her live in concert on her Control Tour, and it was just an awesome experience. It was at a really, you know, good time in my life, you know, just kind of high school career, having a good time. So I have pretty good memories with this album. Yeah, you know, I don't um, – SZA, I think – she has a really interesting voice. I think I can't wait to see what she does in the future. You know, all the stars is a banger, obviously. And, uh, I really like, I really like weekend. Yes. That's a, that's a great song. Um, Calvin song. Harris does a Calvin Harris did a funk, did a funk remix of it. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brett, you're number four. So coming in number four for me is the life of Pablo by Kanye West that came out. Um, right when I was going into my last semester at Michigan state. So, and as a big Kanye fan, like release dates with him are always so fluid. I mean, his album was 80% done for about four years and to finally get the album, like he debuted at Madison square garden during the middle of a fashion show. And it just like the, the wait for that was just like, it was just crazy. Like the whole buildup and him tweeting nonsense, like going at Wiz Khalifa and telling him, Hey, your pants are cool. Like things like that. Just, you got, and then obviously I, um, he, he did a stadium tour and I got to see him at Joe Lewis arena, which is probably the best night of my life. Just cause he was on the floating stage. He was right in front of us and he just, everything about that album is just, it's aged like fine wine. I mean, the features are per Everything about that album is just perfect. It's the album of the life, as he said. Uh, funny story about the life of Pablo. Um, that album 
dropped when I was at a party and I was macking on this girl and she was <laughs> feeling the vibe and I was fucked up and the album dropped and I was like, I got to go. And she <laughs> went out to like go take her friend to an Uber and I just left and she You're came totally. back and she was asking about me and I just, I was, I was gone. I was in my dorm room listening to the album. My roommate, like my roommate was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> And I was just like, waves don't die, baby. Like, waves don't die. <laughs> yeah, and like, and then the whole like chance was like tweeting like, yeah, we got to get waves on the album. Like, Kanye puts waves on the album, and like trying not to skip the waves was one of the hardest, like most like self control moments I ever had to have. And then you get the way it just like just goes crazy. Uh, Lucas, you're uh, you're number four. My number four is the most recent album on this list. It's the Eminem show. By mm. Eminem. When this came out, I was just about to go to high school. It was about to be my freshman year. I remember my mom let me, <laughs> my mom let me buy it. Like she bought it for me, but I had it. And I was like the only person in my grade to have this album. I made so much money off of it. Legally, I wrote Eminem asking for permission to burn this, this CD. And he said, that sounds great. Let's do it. Uh, wait really no (laughs) (laughs) i just have a letter from eminem like 18 years ago do whatever the fuck you want marshall so like that was you know with with dre being a producer like the beats were just the best part of the eminem of the early albums like so fucking good the flow was amazing and like white america clean out my closet sing for the moment's a great one Without Me is the big one. It's not my favorite one. Square Dance, Till I Collapse, and I left out a couple. Like, it's – that album is full of hits. And I just I, – I played, like, another one I played the shit out of. Love that album. Still listen to it. Yeah, I think I think the Eminem show is really the last album before he – before he gets, like, too successful and yeah. too sober. And he just, you know, he kind of loses the plot a little bit. Like, um, encore is good. Um, encore, encore has moments, and you know, relapse but, sucked. Relapse was bad. That was that was a rough one. Recovery <laughs> was way better than relapse. Like when that came out, I'm like, okay. But Kamikaze was, eh, and the, the latest one I couldn't finish. The music to get murdered by. Yeah, couldn't couldn't I, do it. I fucking played the shit out of Recovery. Yeah, good album. My number four is um. Continuum by John Mayer. Um, you know, the, the, the John Mayer jokes, you know, they kind of write themselves sometimes. But like in, uh, Get Hard, when he plays yeah. the guitar, you want to see a whole room get wet. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, you know, um, this is, this is kind of like, it's his most consistent album. You know, after this, he starts experimenting with like some folk and some, and some country stuff and, you know, I like I like a lot of his later songs, but it's just this one is his most consistent, and that's crazy to say because this album starts off with my least favorite John Mayer song. Uh, I fucking hate waiting on the world to change. I just I think it's corny. I think it's like peak early two thousands Hollywood liberalism. I just fucking hate it. I despise it. Oh, I had to hear that song in a loop at Dunham's when I worked there. Like I bet. Eight minutes. It fu- I 
Hated it. For me, that album starts with uh, I Don't Trust Myself With Loving You. And it just, it goes from there. I, that album, I write to John Mayer and like, I can't, I can't have continuum in the rotation because I just have to stop what I'm doing and listen. It's so good. After, after waiting on the world to change, of course. Uh, Carter, you're number three. All right. My number three is called Neo Theater by AJR. If you don't know who AJR is, they are a band of three brothers from New York. They're a pop indie band. This album dropped last year at the end of April. Um, AJR is pretty known for their songs like Sober Up and Weak. If, I don't know if you've heard either of those songs. Um, they have this very, it's kind of like this techno-ish. It kind of borders on EDM, but not really. It's more pop than that, I would say. It's all sorts of alternative and everything. Um, last year, I was struggling to adjust to kind of new life and everything. And Neo Theater and AJR's type of music kind of really speaks to that. So I really enjoyed it. Um, they're so meticulous with the way they craft their sound. Uh, they work so hard. They're constantly evolving their sound. Uh, the album starts off right away with a huge banger. Uh, and it's, and throughout the album, this one is incorporates a lot of like 1930s type of choir sounds fused with all sorts of different type of pop sounds and, uh, you know, epic sounding music. It's just so fantastic. And then I went on, went and saw them on tour when they came to Grand Rapids this past October. Uh, there's just something I think for everyone when it comes to their music, especially with Neo Theater. Um, I know they're not incredibly uh, popular with critics, but they have a huge fan base and I'm hugely part of it. So I really enjoyed that album. They wrote that song, like, I'm Ready, right? That had like the yep. SpongeBob. Yeah, that had yep. the SpongeBob. Sample. I had never heard of it until like last year, but I was like, I kind of like this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're pretty good. My brother listens yeah, to them. They're, they're, I like them. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn it off whenever they come on. Yeah, uh, Brett, football, guys. you're number three. My number three is shockingly another Kanye West album. I love Yeezus. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's just like, when it first came out, the first time I listened through it, I'm like, you know what, this album, like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, I don't know, man. But then you listen to it more and more and it just like, I just, I mean, it's legendary. I don't know what more there is to say. I mean, the whole Kanye, like, and even the tour he did where he just in a mask the whole time. And um, it just, I, I don't know. It just, it, I'm almost speechless trying to talk about it. It's just that good. I mean, he has so many like rules. Oh, it, it's incredible. And like the whole like story behind that and like the meaning and the samples he uses. Uh, I mean, the only feature on the album is, is God <laughs> on a song called I, I am a God. Yeah. That, well, that's the only credited feature I believe because I, yeah. I know he's on it. Yeah. Chief Keef and uh, who's the other guy on send it up. Oh, some like, uh, um, I'm looking at it. Jamaican guy or something. Then he hit the same Jamaican guys in odd. Uh, I'm in it. Then it, he has like some like in the album. It's a, it's mm. funny. Like his lines are just funny on it. But yeah. Who is that? Beanie Man. Beanie Man. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, from American rapper King Louis, and then Jamaican reggae and dancehall singer Beanie Man. I think yeah, I think that um, 
you know, Yeezus was an album that definitely is an album that definitely grows on you. The mm-hmm. more time you sit with it, you know, the first, I remember it leaked and I, and I may or may not, I may have done some light torrenting. Light pirating? Yeah, I may have done some light piracy to get that album. And the first time I listened through it, I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, I loved I, it right away when I listened to I it. I didn't understand it at all. But the more, you know, I kind of, I stuck around with it. And the more I listened to it, the more I came to understand it and love it. And, you know, that I agree with you, Brad. I think, I think it's like, it's, it's incredible. You know, oh, it's yeah. not in my top 10. I yeah. only, I tried to limit myself to one artist, you know, <laughs> one for artists. I failed, yeah. but, um, <laughs> you know, I tried to, but yeah, Jesus is, Jesus just missed the cut for me. Yeah. It was, num- life it was number 11 for me. Yeah. See, right. Jesus and life of Pablo were 11 and 12. So, yeah. And thank him. Thank Kanye for bound Two because when we got that great parody, uh, from oh. Franco. <laughs> yes. That was pretty fucking funny. <laughs> uh, my turn? Yep, you're number three. Uh, okay, my number three is The Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Um, it's not a very happy, uh, very healthy album. Pretty fucked up. But uh, it really, it really, I had a pretty down not downward spiral, but I had a pretty down time that I'm going to explain for my number one album, which might give it away a little bit, but I always have felt that passion and emotion, you can feel it in an album. It gives you the best work. Like it really does. Like it may not be on my list, but like lemonade by Beyonce, Cassie worships that album because it's really fucking emotional. and has a lot of heart into it. And it's real. Like a lot of it really fucking happened. And you know, Trent Reznor was pretty much going to kill himself when this album came out and he kind of just worked himself out of this, you know, with, with the help of others. And I think just making the music really helped him like so many great songs, like March of the Pigs is probably more closer as an iconic song, but like March of the Pigs. And then you have, you know, instrumental, like a warm place, which is really probably the most calming song in the whole album. And then you have Piggy, these aren't great song titles. Piggy, Heresy, Ruiner. Uh, Heresy talks about God being dead. Ruiner. Then Reptile talking about like a like kind of a, alluding to like a woman who cheats on you. Eraser. And then you have the iconic Hurt, which is the Johnny Cash version is definitely more popular just because it's Johnny Cash. But it's such a great album. And it's it wasn't two discs, but it was pretty close. And I have a signed copy of it right here. Cause I got to meet Trent Reznor a while ago, but, um, I'll Subtle get into flex. a little, huh? Subtle flex. Yeah. But that, that's my number three without a doubt. It was really tough to do three, two and one, but this is number three. Yeah. Um, my number three is a uh, Taylor Swiss red. Um, you know, there are very few albums I think that are perfect genre albums and red is for sure a perfect pop album. Um, it, you know, it doesn't, I don't think that there's a single track that I can skip on this song and feel good on this album and feel good about it. You know, whereas with continuum, I can feel good skipping, waiting on the world to change. And, you know, some of the other albums I can, I can skip red 
read, I don't want to miss a single, I don't want to miss a single line. It's so tightly constructed. It's so well balanced. It's, it's, it contains some of Taylor's strongest songwriting, I think ever. And, you know, I just think that the instrumentation is incredible. You know, she, as, as the albums go on, you know, with 1989 and Reputation and Lover, you know, it gets a little more digital, it gets a little more synthy, but this one still used, you know, a real band, a real backing band. And I really appreciated it. And I just, I, I saw her on tour for this album. I fucking love this album. It's so good. Where'd you see her at? I saw her at Ford Field. Oh, that's sick. That's a great concert place. Yeah, it is. You know, for as big as it is, it is, it is very well, it is very well arranged. Uh, Carter, you're, you're number two. All right, here I go. So I had to pick a Young Thug album. Okay. Yes. As that's my favorite artist, and I know you guys probably know that. Um, I went with Jeffrey. Okay. Um, from, yeah, from 2016. And that was the time that he was starting to become more widely accepted. Uh, the album cover release where he was in the dress, and I was ready to go to war for him. I was like, he's going to wear a dress and it's going to be okay. And, and, <laughs> and, everyone on, and everyone on Twitter was like, this is so fire. And I was like, yes. Uh, Jeffrey, as a project, is probably his most focused. Uh, I think his best work is probably so much fun that he dropped last summer. But mm-hmm. this is my favorite. Uh, I think, it was, like you said about the Taylor Swift album, uh, this one you can't skip. You know, you can't miss a single line. Uh, it's got, you know, goofy track lists. He does so many different flows. Like I said, this was kind of starting to when he jumped up to being one of the more prominent artists in rap now. Um, and a bunch of artists are really respect like the way he makes music. And with this, every song is just so fantastic because usually he's dropping these, you know, 15, 19 track albums. This one is eight eight I think maybe nine compact songs and it's just the production is fantastic the song like the way he you know can do inflictions in his voice I think you know we haven't seen an artist like Young Thug he's basically become a genre in his own mm-hmm. and you know he's birthed a new you know genre of rap and all these new rappers that kind of do the type of flow and I think this really was the start of that him really coming into his own as an artist i think this was kind of what propelled him so that's why i think jeffrey is such a fantastic album yeah you know i jeffrey was definitely my um introduction to uh young to to young thug you know i think um why clef jean was a song that was played a lot at the parties i went to yeah um but yeah, um, you know, Thugger is definitely an interesting artist who's not afraid to change what he does on an album to album or even song to song basis. And, you know, I may not like everything that he puts out, but I definitely respect respect the breadth that he has as an artist. Um, yeah, he's like almost like a new age Kid Cudi type based on like how he birthed his own genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he's on that new song with Thomas Rhett. I, I forgot who was produced by him. Might be Diplo. Diplo, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, Dance With Me. And then he has Rocket Man with uh, the Elton John song. Isn't that ridiculous? It's yeah. just like he's, he's, he's in every genre. Talented. 
he's it's stupid like how talented this dude is all right brett you're number two my number two uh spartan dog you alluded to it earlier um almost slipped up there it's blonde by frank ocean um okay i mean that it was really it's one b for me i just think the build up to that album coming off channel orange and then what he delivered with uh endless and then blonde um I mean, you start off with Nikes and you go into Ivy where he's smashing the guitar. Um, you got pink and white. There's so many, cl- and the way he ends it with Future of Free, I think that is like criminally underrated. Some of the lines he has in there. It just, the, it, it, when you listen to the album, it's almost like you're floating and you can listen to it when you're happy, sad. Like if Imani Bates commits to your school, you can throw that on and be excited about it. So, I mean, the album has it all. I think Frank Ocean might be the most talented songwriter that I really listen to. Um, I know I haven't dived as deep as some other people. Um, I know people talk about like Kurt Cobain being a historically great songwriter. Um, I do think Frank Ocean is like this era's version of that. Um, just he tells stories so well in that album. Just you listen to it and just, I don't know, it always brings me back to good memories. Yeah, you know, I, I really I really enjoyed Blonde as a project. You know, it it, it didn't make the cut for me, but um, I think you know Frank Frank is an artist who has just such just already has that kind of autonomy to just kind of do whatever he wants and whenever he's whenever he drops, there will people there will be people waiting with bated breath. You know, he kind of built up this this kind of reputation as as someone who just kind of dropped. And then there were a few years where it would just like drop a single here and there. Yeah. And like Chanel. Yeah. Chanel and biking. And, you know, I'm really interested to see, you know, what his next project looks like um, when and if it ever comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, he was going to be at Coachella this year. Then I, he's probably thrilled that that got canceled. He yeah. hates performing. <laughs> <laughs> he probably came up with COVID himself. <laughs> uh, Lucas, you're number two. My number two is an album that I really didn't listen to until last May. Um, it made me realize that Elton John is way more than just like someone that you kind of listen to like when you were younger and your mom listened to the songs in the car like his older stuff like more excuse me more recent stuff it's goodbye yellow brick road that is a nearly perfect album and you know he had that crazy ass contract where he had to basically release an album every year for like i don't know 10 15 years it seemed like and this one was i listened to all of his albums and this one is by far his best and it's like, obviously, the, the title song, Goodbye Elbrick Road, is fucking amazing. And, you know, it's got so many other good songs, like Candle in the Wind, you know, and he also, he obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, redid that for when uh, Princess Diana died. Uh, Benny and the Jets, which isn't really a banger, but it's a memorable song. And then you have Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, great song. Made even better by Nickelback, I should say. <laughs> Yeah, the Nickelback and Kid Rock version, fucking, I'm not afraid to say it. It fucking bangs. It fucking goes. It, it, it slaps, but <laughs> it's kind of half kidding. Um, and some, fi- like, Funeral for a Friend slash Love Lies Bleeding. And then I just had to throw this song in there just because of the name Jamaica Jerk Off. 
Um, like I saw Rocket Man, and you know I really didn't know that much about Elton John. And you know obviously the movie is a little more fictitious, but I, it felt more real and felt more relatable than you know Bohemian Rhapsody did what six months earlier. And I thought it was just a way better movie. Um, and it made me go back and listen to like all of his shit. And I'm like, holy fuck, this guy's had a career and he's still doing it. He's, he's struggling, but he's still doing it and he's still going at it. But it's definitely made it to where he's one of my top artists of all time, probably number two. And I would, I really hope I get to see him live one time. Like I know he's doing his uh, farewell yellow brick road tour. I want to try to get to the Grand Rapids show whenever he reschedules it because I really want, even though it's not nearly the same as, you know, if you saw this live in 73, it would still be one that like, I want to go see him just to say I saw Elton John. Like he's that iconic. Yeah. Um, I, I fucking love, I fucking love Benny and the Jets. It's probably my favorite Elton John song. So Bang great bar song. It it is it it's an excellent karaoke song, even though it's like six minutes long. It still gets the crowd going. I really like "I'm Still Standing" too. Yeah, it's a great song. song. Um, my number two is probably Brett's number one, so we'll save the discussion for it. Um, <laughs> uh, Carter, you're you're number one. My number one is an artist I mentioned before. My favorite album of all time is "The Sun's Tirade" by Isaiah Rashad. Uh, similar timing to Young Thugs, Jeffrey, just a few weeks after. Um, that was kind of similar to the time that I was taking in all the TDE music, and I was listening to Sylvia Demo a lot, and I said, you know, this guy is awesome, like, in terms of artists on TDE. This guy's a super underrated artist. I was like, how have I never heard of this guy before? He quickly became one of my favorite artists of all time. Uh, this album is just fantastic. The the jump he makes from Sylvia Demo, which is already a spectacular piece of music, to this album is just amazing. The way it starts off, it starts off with the commentary track at first, but then it jumps right into For the Squaw, which is just a smooth, chill song where he is just kind of floating. And like the whole album, he's really, I feel like he raps in a very cynical way. And I, I guess a part of me when this album came out really related to like the way he views the world. Uh, there's all sorts of different things that he mentions on this album. Uh, one of my favorite tracks is Dressed Like Rappers. I also love the song Brenda, which is ded dedicated to his grandmother. Um, obviously the big classic banger song up there was uh, What's Wrong with a fantastic feature from Kendrick Lamar. Uh, another one of the fantastic features is uh, J-Rock. And mm. I blanking on the song that it is right now but i know all, like all the words what's that one? Oh, titty and dollar yeah 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 uh, i don't i don't remember if this album was commercially accepted because you know he was he's not kendrick lamar or anything he's not the biggest artist but the way that this album was crafted is just fantastic i listened to it on repeat almost you know as much as i can it is just my favorite piece of music of all time. All right, Brett, you want to talk beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy or what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just like so clear in a way, my favorite album. I'm sure. I mean, it, especially like everything that came with it, you had like his like 20 long, 20 minute long video about it. Um, just 
it's perfect. It's actually a perfect album. I, I don't know how much more there is to say about it. It's perfect. I mean, the lead single was power. He has all the lights on there. Um, Runaway, like he debuted that. That was his first like TV performance after the Taylor Swift incident. So he showed up the VMAs and just did Runaway and just in his full red suit. Uh, the whole vibe of it's just perfect. It's a perfect album. It's just like cocky rap. He's telling you how great he is, how flawed he is, and just it's perfect. Yeah, the you know when they make the Kanye biopic, the I think your entry point into the story has to be the production of this album mm. because everything that comes after this album is the stuff that I think is some of the most interesting, like he's dating Kim card, like he's talking to Kim Kardashian around this time of the album and like lost in the woods was like a poem he wrote for her. And like, just the, just the story of the production. He, he, he made the album in Hawaii. Everyone who showed up to work in the album had to be business formal. They all stayed in the same house when they worked on the album. You know, you had, you had Pusha T, Nicki Minaj, Sci High the Prince, Drake, all together, Jay Z working on this album together. Wow. And it's from top to bottom, it's such, it's, it's as close to a perfect album, I think, that anyone has ever gotten to. You know, yeah. It, it really does craft this narrative of this fallen of this fallen angel, you know, just the imagery of pow- the power music video is so striking with the, with the sword. I forget, I'm going to butcher the Greek name, so I'm not going to say it. The um, Damoclean sword, you know, hanging over Kanye's head and, and, you know, the runaway music video, I mean, is just fuck it. It's a, it's another level of creativity. And, you know, I hope, you know, the single that just dropped today is pretty good, but if Kanye ever gets away from fucking Jesus music and makes this and makes an album like this again, I know he's got it in him and I can't Wait, new Kanye drop today. Yeah. It's His a single. single. It, it sounds like Jesus. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's a Jesus hybrid. It's Christian Jesus. Yeah, with like angry Christian music almost. It, it's fire. It's good. But I don't know if yeah, I don't know if he'll ever deviate back to as he calls it secular music. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get that. But like you said, if he wants to make a perfect album, he can, and that's what he did with this. He knows he's a genius. And the name of the album just is amazing to me. My beautiful dark twisted fantasy. Like <laughs> I don't know. That just Love it. And Love everything about Kanye. Music, yeah. There are th- there's like what you think music is, and this is just, it's another level. It really is. He takes it to another level. There are so many classic songs on here that no other artist, I feel like, no other hip-hop artist at least could ever come close to touching. I just feel like, yeah. And the concept of this album as a fairy tale is just insane, you know, where it starts where the title track starts with Nicki Minaj kind of giving like this preamp, like this fairy tale preamble and it goes into, and it kicks into the, can we get much higher? It's, it's fucking incredible. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, Great fucking album. Amazing. Lucas, your number one. Okay. My number one is The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails. There's a lot of backstory to it, but I'm going to condense it. Basically, my what happened, you know, I became a Nine Inch Nails fan in 08, saw them on tour, and, you know, really liked them. And a month later, both my grandparents passed away. And it really <clears throat> put me in a, a dark place because that was the first, you know, big kind of experience with death of my life as an adult. You know, I had someone, I was a little kid, but you know, you can't comprehend it. And it really, really fucked me up for a couple months. And the day it happened, I put this album on and I just slept in my, I lived in my mom's basement. Uh, <laughs> and like, I just, I put it on, I shut the lights off and I just closed my eyes and, tried to cope with what happened and like there's a there's a song it's one of my it's probably my favorite song ever it's called the day the world went away and like it's been heard in like trailers and stuff um and the, the album's two two cds and when i did more research you know it was like the downward spiral is kind of about the self-destruction of a man but the fragile is more about dealing with depression and angst and drug abuse which i never had happen to me but that's what Trent Reznor was dealing with. And he also lost his grandmother who basically raised him before this album came out. And that was a huge part of it too. And that kind of gave me a more connection with him. And obviously it's on a very tiny level, but you know, like I said earlier with emotion, like you can feel the emotion and this is a very angry album, but like there's moments where it's not. And like I, I cannot stress how important this album is to me. It changed, it changed who I was. Like it really did. It, it had a impact on who I became. And I was, I wouldn't say I'm a little more bitter, but I just kind of saw the world differently after what happened with me and what happened to our, to my family. And, you know, listening to this just made it, made me able to cope with it. If that makes sense. It's not an album you think you could cope with, but you know, it just kind of pulled me out of this, what could have been a really hor horrific spot, if that makes sense to you guys. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's something mm -hmm. like, I mean, a lot of albums, like you, you go back and listen to, and you can't help but kind of go back to the time where you first heard it. Right. Um, when people always say, what do you wish your superpower could be? It would, for me, it would always be, I wish I could hear an album again for the first time or yeah. hear like a song for the first time. I mean, it would just take you back to like, like if I could go back to the first time I heard my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, like, that's worth more to me than probably like a million dollars as crazy as that sounds yeah. just because the memories behind it. Like, you know, and he's Trent Reznor is such a great fucking guy too. And you wouldn't think about it if you hear these songs and like you see his entire discography, but like I got to meet him a couple months later. Um, he toured with Jane's addiction and they were in Detroit and they did a, he did a meet and greet for like 300 bucks you could meet them, you can hang out with them, take pictures, and then go to the um, rehearsals at DTE Energy Music Theater. And, like, he he did this because a, um, a fan of his, like, was suffering some sort of heart condition, and he lived in Utah, and he wasn't nearly up the list because he didn't have the money. 
And so he, his sister reached out to Trent Reznor and he said, okay, well, we'll do this. And all the proceeds just go to him. Like so selfless and, you know, so it was just very weird to see from this guy who I really didn't know much about, but it made me understand, you know, it's, it's not, you know, just because he talks about this in his music doesn't mean he's going to be always an angry and hateful person. And obviously I met him 10 years after this came out and he, stopped being looking like a crackhead and he became like all muscled and steroid, not steroid, but he looks like he's on roids. Yeah. And he was like the nicest fucking guy I've ever met. Like I, I could bear, I couldn't talk when I like, he put his arm around me, you know, for the picture. And I look like I'm mentally challenged. Like I got my (laughs) jaw hanging and like my camera wouldn't work. I'm like, Oh fuck. And then he just says, it's okay. I get to put my arm around you a little bit longer. I'm like, Trent Reznor just said that to me. So, <laughs> like, I just, I'm, I'm always going to be his big, one of his biggest fans. And you can't fake passion like mine when it comes to this album. <laughs> but it I'll is talk. the most impactful album of my life and thus my number one. Sorry to go off into a little. Oh, that was awesome. I, I had no, to that's cool. To it. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what music is all about. You know, it's about these moments and, you know, where and when you listen to an album for the first time, you know, really does. Um, affect you know how you view that artist and that album for the rest of your life and you know my number one album is just kind of like that you know my my number one album is a uh, folia do by uh fallout boy um you know i'm i'm a massive yeah i'm a massive fallout boy fan um you know i love i don't love all their stuff you know but i do you know when they're on they're on and like this album was just such a departure from the stuff they've done before. You know, they were there's it's so much more evolved from like their pop punk, you know, kind of albums that preceded it. And it's very orchestral. It's very, it feels like the end because in a way it was the end. They went on a, I believe they went on a five year hiatus after this album. And you can really feel the finality of the album. There's, um, a great song called What a Catch Donnie. That's a fantastic where, song. Where they have artists on where they have artists who are signed to Pete Wentz's label come on and sing reprises of their hits, like in the bridge of the song. And you know, it's just it's crazy. There's a little Wayne feature on this album. It's fucking it's so good. And you know, this album is just it's changed meaning for me because I assign it. I assign different parts of this album to different parts of my life. You know, this album has been in my life basically since it came out in 2008. And it's just, it's been with me for, you know, the 12 years since it came out. And I just, you know, each time I listen to it, I, I connect a different emotion to a different song and a different time I hear it. You know, it's just, I, I, I fucking love this album. It's so, it's, it's so complete and it's so, it's so focused and it's got some of, it's got some of Patrick Wentz's or Patrick Stump's, uh, Patrick Stump's best vocals. Um, it has some of the tightest, it has some of the tightest songwriting and it's just, the production is unreal. I can't say enough good things about the production of this album. I fucking love it. So um, that's that's my number one. Um, 
you know, I'll make a, I'll have our spreadsheet intern make a spreadsheet so we can tweet it out. <laughs> He's too busy making a new logo, but we'll try to get a hold of him. Yeah. Um, so does anyone have any honorable mentions? I have a few. I'll have to think of them. Go ahead. <clears throat> um, I, you know, I shouted out Life of Pablo and Yeezus. Um, I'd also like to shout out Future Nostalgia by Dua Lipa. Just mm. fucking banger after banger after banger on that album. So fucking good. Um, I want to spend a little more time with it before I knock off one of the uh, one of the albums in my top ten. Uh, Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. You know, we talked. I said earlier about perfect genre albums. I think Golden Hour is like the perfect country album. And then, um, you know, I didn't want to look like a fucking Brooklyn hipster douche, so I left out uh, Sgt. Pepper's, but Sgt. Pepper's still fucking, still a fucking banger album. That's a good one. Uh, I have one, because I just got, I'm kind of scrolling through my Apple Music library, and one that I can't believe I forgot, uh, Daytona, Pusha T. Again, oh. another one of those, like, it, good, good music, good music rarely ever misses. And... <laughs> If they if they ever have missed, uh, Daytona is so tightly woven. Uh, the production, some of the best I've ever heard. Hard piano, uh, Santeria, some of my favorite songs that I still listen to all the time. Just Kanye got in his ridiculous bag with that one, <laughs> with this whole album. Uh, and then of course uh, the infrared was the was the Drake diss and have. Watching him absolutely just fucking bend Drake over a fucking table and smack the shit out of him the whole time was just fantastic to witness. Uh, that was also that was right as I had finished high school, so that was a real fun time. I Pusha T is awesome in every way. Oh, yeah, he's like even the cover art for the album is Whitney Houston's like bathroom. Yeah. When she overdosed and passed away, like that. Yeah. And I forgot how much Kanye spent on it, like a hundred thousand for the picture, which yeah. is just nuts. And like you wow. said, it it led into the Drake and Pusha T beef, where, like, I would say Pusha T is probably in my top three people. I would never want to have a rap beef with. And the other two, <laughs> no would be Eminem, Eminem, and Kendrick Lamar. Those are the three I would not mess with. You are hiding a child. <laughs> yeah, he he brought that family together. Drake was spending Father's Day with the kid. I have never seen an artist get raked over the coals harder no. than in that beef. No. Cause, yeah, because Drake tried coming at Kanye. Like, Drake does all this. Like, I, I love Drake as an artist. I think he sure, makes, yeah, sure. Yeah, he has great songs. I think his albums, they've fallen off a little bit. But what he does is he'll always just poke at somebody just enough. And then when somebody fights back, he can't handle it. He's just like yeah. that, like the preppy bully kid in school. And yeah. when somebody like he messes, he just pokes the wrong kid on the wrong day and he gets eaten alive. And that's what he's doing. Push T because push T they, they're like, Hey, where'd you hear about uh, Drake having a child? He's like his friend, like 40 told me, who's like his producer or whatever. So it's just like the whole backstory is crazy. I love that album yeah. so much. Push T is a legend. The story of Adidon is one of my <sighs> favorite disses. <laughs> it's yeah. It's, it's probably top three ever. Yeah, it's right like up there, like ether, ether, no Vaseline. It's right up there with those just classic, classic disses. Hmm. Okay, my honorable mentions. I can only think of four. Um, In Rainbows by Radiohead, great fucking album. Uh, different from Kid A, like Pete or um, Tom York is fucking amazing. Jesus, it 
barely missed a fucking cut. I could simply, I could easily plop it in here. And I'm going to put Lemonade just because I've had to listen to it so many fucking times. But it is a good album. And I have seen Beyonce and Jay Z live, and like it was, it was, pre- it was, it was even better live. Like they put on a good show. And the one I totally forgot about that I probably would have put on here somewhere is Toxicity by System of a Down. Mm. Fucking love those guys. I wish they'd come back. Uh, if you're listening, please come back, Serge. We really miss you and need you. But those are my honorable mentions for this list. Yeah. I mean, I Chris Brown's one of my favorites, and I mean, obviously he has a tumultuous past, but some of his, the albums he just dropped, I mean, recently they're like usually 40 songs long, like Heartbreak on a Full Moon. I think that's a phenomenal album. I think Fortune's incredible. Um, then obviously like his original, like his uh, OG album is just Chris Brown. So just honorable mention to Chris Brown. I love everything you do. I love you, Breezy. Don't let the haters keep you down. It- Brett, you're you're canceled, not postponed. <laughs> well, I didn't include uh, I didn't include any R. Kelly. Fair enough. Well, Carter no. put Michael Jackson on his. Michael Jackson is untouchable, man. Yeah. And well, I the, also the kids who were around Michael Jackson weren't. Oh, yeah, yeah I, 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 I I said that one. Yeah, don't don't watch Finding Neverland if you wanna. If you wanna. Yeah, I probably won't keep your image of him. Yeah, yeah no. I'll give. I'll give an honorable mention to Lady Gaga for uh, The Fame. That's her debut album. I think Lady Gaga is like so criminally underrated as an artist. Uh, I know we talked about like uh, Elton John earlier. I think she kind of falls in that category of like uh, David Bowie and uh, yeah, Elton John. Like, yeah, so she's incredible. When it comes to pure voices, Lady Gaga is prime. Shit. Yeah, she might be the OG woman right now. Carter and Brett, have you guys seen A Stars Born? No. Yeah, Watch I haven't. It. Watch it. I heard it's really good. It's, it's she, any other year, she probably would have won the Oscar. She's but, like so stupid talented. Mm-hmm. It, great, great fucking movie. But yeah, it's she's amazing in it. But she's done like that. She has an album with Tony Bennett. Oh, yeah. She's in... Uh, American Horror Story. She's like the lead actress in that. She's, she's dabble. She's done some light acting. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She. She's a. She's a. She's a fucking great talent. All right, Carter. Thank you for joining us. Oh yeah. Sure. Uh, we'll be back next week with Mitch for a lively discussion of the Last Jedi. Trevor's coming on for that one. He said. All right, here we go. Until then, fellas, go green. Go white. Go white. Go white. You'll never catch us, so just let me be. Instead, I'll be fine to the hospital or American Embassy. Miss Black said, Still want you back, yeah. Miss Flair said I still want you back.
troubled thoughts and self-esteem to match what I can't, what I can't.